VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Another huge one here coming for Adebayo. Do they take Duncan Robinson off the floor right now? I think that would make sense, you would think. With two timeouts left, I would. Huge free throws. Denver just collapsed right at the end of the clock. They're back in the man-to-man, switching everything here. They don't want to give up a three. Jokic at the foul line against Vincent. Goes through him and rolls it in. Again, they go through Vincent. Three-point game. Let's, so they're going to defend yeah, here. Yeah, Denver's not... not you try, try some sort of pressure there. You would think, right? But there haven't been any timeouts to set that up. It's Gordon on Butler. Waving everyone away. Ten to shoot. They're just going to switch this now with Jokic on Butler. Good help off the nail by Brown. Butler stepping back. Misses it. Here comes Denver. Ten seconds to go. Murray picked up by Vincent. He could maybe shoot over him. Switch. Butler going for the three. Murray stepping back to tie. Short. Oh. Rebounded by Martin. And we have a 1-1 series. Woof. Wow. What a, what a fourth quarter for Miami. Final numbers on that. 36-25 in favor of the Heat. They win it by three. We will see you on Wednesday for Game 3. Oh, baby. Well, well. The Denver Nuggets fought back. Miami had a fantastic start. That was well in the rearview mirror. Miami did tie it in the third quarter at 66. Then Denver goes on a run in the dreaded Cody Zeller minutes. They lead 83-75 at the end of the third quarter. Looks like they would be in control. But as has happened so many times in these playoffs, au contraire, said the Miami Heat, we have a series. We do. And it, there there were so many phases of game two, and we'll get into a fair amount of them here. But I think the place to start is, and, and we'll talk about, I, I think, whether this is a true shift defensively for the Miami Heat, but the difference between Nikola Jokic's games one and two. So in game one, Jokic, not only the, you know, oh, he put up a triple-double, but he had 14 assists and only two turnovers. In Game 2, Jokic had a big scoring game, 41 points, 28 field goal attempts, more than twice as many as he had in Game 1, but only four assists compared to five turnovers. They made him a score, and he scored, but the team didn't score as much. Yeah, uh, the five turnovers so was big, too. They did manage to put more pressure on him. And I do not recall them coming with like a single hard double team at all. And the other thing that they did was they really tried to keep Bam Adebayo attached to him pretty well. I thought Bam, yeah, he scored 41 points. It's hard to say this, but Bam did a great job. He didn't let him get, I think there was only one, and this was against Zeller, like one little like cut for Jokic. He earned pretty much every bucket that he got. A few of them were like open pick and pop threes, but they're okay giving those up. And so Bam getting through those screens, like getting into his body a few centers are, are able to do that and bam was able to do it when Jokic caught the ball generally he was always there at least in the first three quarters before they went to the vaunted zone defense and yeah to only give up four assists Denver didn't shoot incredibly well in this one they finished 11 to 28 from three two of those ended up being heaves and they made three of their last four but it wasn't incredibly damaging and some of the shots that they might have made like Porter Jr who usually gets assisted by Jokic he was one out of six uh, again in this one and they made it difficult enough like 16 to 28 like that's survivable seven of eight from the line it's more than you'd like to give up but again with five turnovers four assists now maybe too much just focus is going to be on that because Denver still had an amazing offensive rating. Some of that came in those desperation last few minutes as they were trying to come back from a 12-point deficit under four minutes to go. Uh, And they did really get slowed down in the fourth quarter. But I think it was 
the things that you didn't see i mean that, that's probably the biggest thing really you talked about the passing from Jokic. denver leads the nba in passes into the paint for baskets and they really i mean how many of those did they get in this game maybe like two or three i'm trying to think can you think of a, of many not very many and i mean they, yeah, they I had guess a- gordon gordon had a couple of alley-oops um and then I, yeah, I can't think of much else. Not a ton. I mean, there could. I'm sure we missed some just overall in the shuffle. But relative to their normal standard, it was definitely fewer. And and another point on this, Bob Lagares tweeted this out: is that Denver attempted 28 three pointers in this game, but 11 of them were in transition or on second chance opportunities. And there there wasn't a ton of transition in this game. So what that meant was Denver's half court offense was not generating the volume of three-pointers that it normally does. And when you have really good three-point shooters, even if some of them missed more, some of them missed more than they, they do, most most notably MPJ, as you mentioned. So that puts Denver in a different situation. So they're not getting the stuff around the basket, as you brought up, those kind of the, those high high efficiency opportunities. And they're not taking threes at that volume. They took six corner threes in the game. Miami took nine. So then it, you know, it can be shot making, it could be a couple other things, but it's it's harder, generally speaking. Now, the bigger story to me with Denver putting up a 124 offensive rating, and so much is going to be lost because this is an incredibly slow-paced game with only 86 possessions and only 19 possessions in the fourth quarter, which would be a 76-possession game. That That's like a late 90s style of pace there, is that Miami's offense is great too. They put up a 129. And what will also be lost is they took a ton of threes and they made it in some of these games they haven't been taking that many threes but they're 17 to 35 tonight that was 44 percent of their shots and so they're getting up a ton of threes and they're making a ton of them they also shot 18 more free throws 14 of them courtesy of contavious caldwell pope by the way which we'll get to a little bit more but i had talked about how in game one miami if they played as well as they played in some of these games against milwaukee and boston that they would win games in this series and in in game one they were awful butler couldn't do anything he he was not great in this game either but he did a lot more with nine assists and he he helped close the game bam was much better as well he he was much more efficient they didn't go to this like let's let bam out of bio shoot 25 free throw line jumpers offense gabe vincent was four or six from three Struce makes four in the first quarter and then duncan robinson basically was the heat offense getting them 13 points in less than three minutes i believe in in the game changing run at the start of the fourth so they came out and while the nuggets could have been a lot better miami except for maybe that stretch at the end of the first beginning of the second when they made a lot of mistakes they played really well like that's the thing like this really I didn't think that Denver, you know, they had some mistakes, sure, but they still were really good offensively. Like, they are a machine. Like, it's really hard to shut down this Nikola Jokic offense. But Miami, they they played great. Like, they made a lot of great plays in this game, and, and that's why they won, as it was in, you know, going back to the Boston series and the Milwaukee series, and that... That really heartens me to see the Heat play at that level, at least for one game in this series. And that makes me think that we may have a series and there isn't some magic that Denver is going to be able to just completely shut them down the way they did in game one. One of the biggest surprises in the game, and I don't want it to be overemphasized considering he only played 22 minutes, but in part, presumably because Caleb Martin was dealing with an illness, he did not practice on Saturday. Martin came off the bench and they started Kevin Love, who got a DNP coach's decision in game one, starts, plays 22 minutes, and pretty much just the opening of the first and third quarters is primarily when he played. But I want to give Kevin Love a lot of credit because he is still a limited defensive player. And you could see that at different times. Like there was a play where he was contesting on Jokic and did really contest on Jokic. But Love not only was in position most of the time, did some really good second and third effort work beyond the defensive glass that surprised me that that you know like he was in places and was affecting shots and so I thought if Love started and you know talked about this when we were setting up the game on playback that if Love played it was going to be him guarding Jokic Bam as the rover we basically did not see that at all no they were terrified to have him 
on Nikola Jokic uh, to the point where some of their best offense with him in the game was running a 5-4 pick and roll and eventually forcing Love to step up. But he actually really worked well as a help defender. And I'm sure Jokic would like to have a few of these back, but Love actually kind of got in there, like bothered Jokic a little bit. Uh, he was looking to take charges. He took an early one on MPJ uh, curling into the lane. And while he was only two of six from three, I thought that it, his ability to space out was important uh, on the offensive end. He had seven defensive rebounds uh, in 22 minutes and was plus 18. It was basically like the best plus minus per minute on Miami. So it just, it shockingly worked. And part of that was just that Love actually, like he probably made like, five or six real rim protecting plays he had two steals and just uh, like it wasn't necessarily shot blocked but he was just able to kind of get his chest in front of guys get a hand in a little bit bother Jokic he might make those shots in the future but like he was good I couldn't believe it it was really a, an impressive performance by him man I just love American Giant just an amazing clothing company I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then I get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. On the other side of the coin... Especially Michael Porter Jr. This was it was such a disappointing performance from him because MPJ had maybe the best defensive game I've ever seen from him in game one and was yeah. did great as a help defender, was reacting, was active, and then was truly terrible in defense on defense. And he missed more shots than you expect. That there's a regression of the beaten, but it was about defensive execution. And you could see the way that Contavious Caldwell-Pope interacted with him, was looking at Michael Porter Jr. That was telling a lot of that story, let's put it that way. Yeah, a lot of miscommunications by Denver, and particularly early on, on Struess, I think three of his threes in that first quarter came off of miscommunications. I believe all of them involved Porter Jr. and at least two of them were his fault, if not all three of them. And 
those plays are hard to deal with and with Struis actually making his shots that was a, a big part of it and we saw the Celtics also struggled to deal with those ghost screens even though Michael Malone talked about it pregame they didn't have a great plan on it they did much better once they got to the second unit with Brown Christian Brown and Bruce Brown out there Jeff Green did a, a good job of switching and KCP out there a lot with the second unit as well but yeah it, it was disappointing and then he really had a chance to hit some big threes and was two for 11 in game one one of six in this one but and particularly against the zone it really would have been nice if he could have hit some shots or gotten open for some shots and uh, it just it wasn't in the cards for him well and tonight and one way of telling the michael border jr story in this game is that he logged significant minutes in both the first and third quarters and then barely played at the end of the second when the nuggets go on this big run and then he only played five minutes in the fourth quarter as well and he only played five minutes in the fourth quarter. In part, he got a roughly, let's call it a minute and a half of that, was because KCP fouled out. He wasn't in the he wasn't in the original closing five. He just was a replacement in the closing five. So Miami gets off to the good start that they needed, 10-2. A couple of Strews threes. He was so bad in that game one. I think he was 0 for 9. Didn't hit a three, of course, because that's what that zero means. And then they come in with Cody Zeller and Duncan Robinson simultaneously. And that really became a big problem for Miami defensively with Jokic still closing things out they elected again to not have Bam mirror Nikola Jokic's minutes I think that's probably a mistake but I mean they did win the game so you can't argue that much and the unit with Bam at the start of the fourth with no Jimmy did change the game and that Spo does have a theory to these lineups so it's not so obvious here but certainly that hurt them in the first Robinson couldn't get going at all he was getting denied by Christian Braun really well and Braun was was good with a couple of steals i think it was three of three in the first half including uh a fadeaway over bam from the right elbow which apparently is just a spot where no matter how difficult the shot over bam is it's just going to go in for the denver nuggets they had a bunch of crazy ones and i thought that zeller again was just kind of like he had a play where in transition not even in transition where they're just trying to pressure up full court and he sort of leaned over towards murray and so yoke just cut right behind him at half court and went in uh and I, I thought he tried gamely, but Jokic clearly had more confidence working against him in the post. And particularly because Murray is out during those minutes, uh, they will go to Jokic more. Uh, so yeah, Denver goes on a crazy run. I think it ended up being 27 to 6 at one point. They lead by 12. I think, I think it was uh, like 40 to 14 at one point. It was. It yeah. Was... I, I mean, Miami led by double digits and then Denver got up to a du- double digit lead. And I thought Miami's passing also was really poor. They had, I think, four turnovers in like the first four or five minutes of the second quarter as that run was being made by Denver. Again, this is all with Jokic off the floor. Jimmy as well. But uh, yeah, they really were throwing it all over the gym. Bam took a couple of bad shots when he just had a wide open guy on the weak side for threes. I mean, isn't it amazing, Danny, like the difference between Bam when he's standing still as a passer and Bam when he's like moving towards the basket? It is. And there were there were times where we wondered about how how long that would be the case. But yeah, that's a that's been a part of the story, at least so far. Another thing that was really good was Jeff Green's post game, mm. <laughs> which he did like three times. And yeah, I guess he's going to go shoulder left left shoulder every time I he went for a hook shot in game one. I was like, oh, let's see if he's got anything else. He probably doesn't. But uh, that caused me to look up his post game during the broadcast. He goes left shoulder 67 percent of the time, usually to a hook shot. But he was just running the floor hard, getting matched up against a smaller guy like Robinson or Vincent and either drawing fouls or, or collapsing the defense. I thought Miami also just even Kyle Lowry had just some overly aggressive closeouts on Christian Braun, one where he just blew in for a layup when they closed out hard against him above the break, which he I don't think he's hit him above the break three since February at this point. So it looked like, oh, well, Miami is going to fall apart. Like they're not going to play very well. And then they were able to get back into it a little bit late second and then tie it up at 66 earlier in the third. You mentioned it in passing, but I wanted to to follow up on it. One of the most stunning parts of Game 2 was the volume of fouls on th- on three-point shots. A lot of those were at, at on Contavious Caldwell-Pope, including one where he complained about it 
vociferously, but it was the right call where Kyle Lowry moves forward on his jump shot and Contavious Caldwell-Pope didn't really contest the shot. But the more egregious one to me was on Max Struess. It was a late clock. Oh, God. Late clock. Struess is just kind of heaving it up. And KCP didn't even go for a block. He just went for a strip with like one second left on the shot clock. It was going to be a bad look. And it was, it was a 31 footer, like going to his left with him right there. Just put your hand up and live to fight another day. And it, it the situation got even worse for KCP because he did foul out. I mean, he, it's not like he played great in the game and was one for four from the field, other than I believe he had his own three shot foul. Um, oh, yeah, that was the Gabe Vincent one. Um, but it was it was jarring to, because I mean KCP has earned his reputation as a defensive player, but and had some really good possessions where he like hustled and deflected a ball or got back and made a great read. But then those three shot fouls in particular, like that was an outright majority of Miami's free throws. What did you make of Jimmy Butler's game, excepting the end? Uh, when when he did, he was pretty good in pick and roll for a couple of possessions that kept them at bay. I thought that his thought process was better, you know, going after Jokic more consistently, more more aggressively, and had a couple of big threes, um, which but he, which are always a little bit surprising, even though he's done it so much more now in the playoffs than the regular season. It, I think for me, this one wasn't as much like, oh, he's being tentative, he's being passive, as much as the shots just didn't fall for him at the rate that they did at other points in these playoffs. So I, I thought it was below his standard, but the other big part, and I think this is a key, we talk, we've talked about how Denver was, even though their offensive rating, offensive rating was still like well above average overall, Jimmy Butler made a huge difference on the defensive end. Yeah, and the strategy from the jump was that he was going to guard Jamal Murray, but unlike what you might have thought, it wasn't, oh, we'll have him be able to switch on to Jokic. It was more just that he he was going to get physical with Murray, try to get over screens. I think the biggest part of it was just that he could do more of a rear view contest. They just don't have anyone else with that type of length. Even Martin is really only about 6'5". And Butler doesn't have great length, but he's, he's physical. He was able to stay close enough to the body of Murray, not pick up fouls. Bam definitely was a little bit more aggressive, I thought, as a pick and roll defender if Murray did turn the corner. But Bam has such long arms and he's so active and he did a good job of disguising his intentions if he did come over there to bother Murray it was at a point where he was just on the axis between Murray and Jokic and made it really tough to get Jokic that pocket pass and then they also would bring over guys from the weak side they like to run a lot of kind of open side action with Jokic and Murray and that enabled the heat to bring some of their guys over as well And then on Jokic, when it was Bam guarding Jokic in the post, or if Jokic did get some sort of a mismatch in transition or off a off a screen i mentioned they didn't do the hard doubles but they did bring the help when Jokic really made his move and particularly if it looked like he was going to get right to a spot and and get an easy layup or something like that so they did find a way to help there and even as good of a passer as Jokic is when the help comes and you're right at the rim and it's not giving you a shot that does make it a little bit harder to make a pass because now you can't pass it to someone right under the rim because you're under the rim and so Aaron Gordon then kind of becomes a little bit more useless because it and Aaron Gordon isn't necessarily going to fly in like off a of one foot necessarily for a finish. He's more of a two foot leaper. So they couldn't really get him the ball very well. And I thought Love was, was really good at this. And, you know, maybe you can try to kick out for a three at that point. But if you're right under the basket being double teamed, some of those angles can become a little bit more difficult. Again, Jokic was fantastic overall. Like they didn't shut him down by any means, but it was at least it wasn't just getting totally picked apart and they did a better job with size. They also were able to get away with Struess guarding Aaron Gordon uh, later on in the game, but that was maybe an underrated part of starting Kevin Love was just they weren't going to duck in Aaron Gordon on Kevin Love. And so that, that would enable Jimmy to play on the perimeter they tried to do that remember at the start of game one or they got caught in cross matches probably more often and that's when gordon had that crazy 12 point first quarter so everything was just a little bit tighter for miami defensively but really again it was uh the crazy offense we should probably talk now though about after Jokic has 18 points in the third they kill the zeller minutes again michael malone we thought he might stick with Jokic right at the start of the fourth but with an eight point lead i think he felt better about it than he did in at the start of uh game one and also they're coming off the 90s or whatever it was but then duncan robinson happened 
He did. And it was a mix of three-pointers. Of course, Duncan Robinson, fantastic at that overall. Two of, I believe, both of his three-point makes then, but also did some work inside the arc. Um, he and set up another the the only basket in that really quick early stretch. It was a, a ten or eleven zero run that he didn't score directly. Was the, his gravity leave, leading to a Heat teammate being wide open for a three? Yeah, they ran I think three times in a row. Bam in the slot on the left side. Gabe Vincent screening Robinson out of the corner and some split cut actions, and Robinson gets loose for. A layup against a closeout. He, he beat Jamal Murray for six of those 10 points, uh, which was pretty big. Uh, Murray didn't close out on him very well on one play and let him shoot it. Then he Murray tried to close it down. He drives baseline as a lefty finish for an and one. And it basically, I mean, it happened all so fast to get those 13 points so quickly. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And of course, they're in the zone, so they're able to protect him a little bit more. When they went man with Duncan Robinson, then he got taken advantage of some, but not quite that much. And in the zone, he's on the baseline, and Denver doesn't really have a great package to try to go after him. They're more focused on trying to get it to Jokic in the middle of the zone. Then on the other end, Miami reoriented their zone even more to deal with Jokic at the foul line, where they really had whoever was there just like basically fronting him the entire time. And so even if that left like they didn't i talked to at the end of game one about how one guy would be guarding the ball they'd swing it to the next pass and then the guy guarding the ball would have to get back inside of Jokic. and i mean he couldn't do that so instead what they basically did was even more of kind of a two-one-two look if Jokic was at the foul line and whoever whatever guard was trying to deny him would just never leave him even if the pass got made or a drive got made and then they would just trust the guys behind him to try to make the play on one of those 
with an 11 point heat lead, Bam Adebayo, pretty obviously goaltended <laughs> Jamal Murray. Uh, I didn't. How did you feel about the refereeing in this game? Anything in particular? I thought most of the three shot fouls were, I, I mean, if most, if not all of them, were correctly adjudicated. There were a, a few soft fouls. Called. Well, the, the Jokic one, we, we never got a replay that to me showed any contact. I was surprised Spo didn't go for the challenge on that. That's, one. that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Um, overall, I thought it was I thought it was fine. They called a couple of illegal screens, but they they seemed illegal. There was one where KCP probably baited a little bit by going down when he was behind the play, but it was an illegal screen to begin with. So other than the pretty egregiously missed goaltender, I thought they did a good job. Before we talk about the end of the game, Gabe Vincent was a game best plus 22 in this one in 32 minutes, 8 of 12, 4 of 6 from 3, made all 3 of his free throws, had 23 points, 3 assists, 2 steals. He did just get bludgeoned over and over by Jokic from the free throw line. I mean, that's part of the genius of Jokic is that he's able to back down and get to where he wants to go and basically never commits an offensive foul because he's just, he's able to make like quick spins or just use his bulk to work in a position legally or quasi-legally using that forearm a little bit. And so he he got a bunch of plays on Vincent, but Vincent came right back. He was good in pick and roll. He made a, a ton of threes that were some really tough ones and like he is a quite the barometer for the heat he was good in game one also but continues to really uh improve his free agent stock and he, he just competes defensively another guy doesn't make mistakes even those plays on Jokic where he's kind of getting bulldozed or by Jalen Brown or RJ Barrett in an earlier series like he's at least it's not hopeless right like he's not just getting completely blown by like he's making him make mid-rangers that are a little bit difficult at least making him make a couple of moves he's not fouling so uh, that was pretty good. So at one point, Miami is outscoring Denver 29 to 10 in the quarter. And ultimately, they take a 12-point lead. Butler missing a mid-ranger. It bounced right back to him. There are a bunch of weird bounces on offensive rebounds that benefited both teams. Caleb Martin sprints to the left corner, somehow gets his feet beyond the line. He was a, he was ill, as you mentioned. It only played 21 minutes, but closed it out. Hits a huge corner three and... As you said on the cast, we were in perfect game territory, and it was shockingly not that perfect that still got them a chance uh, at the tying three at the end. But was there anything that really stood out to you from that end of the game? Miami could, I I so part of a perfect game, you know, defense, threes, and three shot fouls. And there were a couple possessions where I thought the Heat were gave up cleaner looks from three than I expected. Some of them were great shot making. Like Jamal Murray had one that was like, all right, but if he's going to do that, then what are you going to do? But like Aaron, they conceded a wide open Aaron Gordon three. That was what took it from 12 to nine. It's like, I I understand that you want to maintain your defensive scheme. There also are very few ways that you're going to lose a game like that. And one of them is by giving up wide open threes. Yeah. Denver goes three of four. I'm sorry. No, that's incorrect. Uh, Because KCP missed when they got the offensive rebound and set up Murray. So so they go three of five uh, on threes in that last stretch. Without Michael Porter Jr. on the floor. Yeah. Murray hit a a tough one at the mesh point of the screen right after Gordon had hit one. That cut it from 12 to 6 over the course of two possessions, and it looked like it was going to get interesting. Nonetheless, Denver only got one shot in the air to tie it, which was Murray's final three. And part of how Miami was able to do that, even though they only scored four points after that Martin three with 329 remaining, they didn't turn it over. They ran the time down nearly as far as you can on every possession. And they also extended the floor a little bit uh, with their zone, forced Denver to use up some time as they came up. And so despite only scoring four points, which was barely enough, uh, they got a Butler jumper and they got two BAM free throws. When KCP jumped on, he, he jumped on a Bam pump fake, if memory serves, and then... Well, I, I that wasn't what stood out to me on that play. I guess I'll, I guess I can kind of get to that now, that the Heat late game offense now, it, and they missed a couple of shots. They're trying to run the time down, so make of this what you will. But I did think that they finally were able to take advantage of Jokic at least a little bit, mostly by getting him out on the floor. First, Butler hits that pull-up mid-ranger from the right side, and then they decide they're going to get 
get him further up. Butler is about to shoot a three with just under a minute left, and Jokic gets out too far with like five on the shot clock. Butler finds the pass back to Bam as Jokic again goes for the steal. Jokic also got beaten on the pocket pass on that huge Bam dunk all over Michael Porter Jr. that happened with about five minutes to go. And so Jokic, I think he, with the way he's defended some of the shooters or when he's been up, I think he needs to kind of stay tight like his number one goal i think should be show but also like make sure you're taking away the pocket pass he trusts his hands a lot and he'll get he has good hands but a lot of times he'll like lunge for the ball not get it and now you've got a a really more like a three on two going downhill with one of the better role men in bam so i I did think he got taken advantage of some i thought the heat did a better job of at least attacking the rim some uh, against Jokic, and it didn't look like they got to the rim a ton there are some that got scored as like just outside the restricted area but they were better than they were obviously in game number one so that was the biggest thing strategically that stuck out to me in at the end of the game but they only scored four points in the last three and a half minutes so you can't argue with the Nuggets defense too much there no you can't a couple other things towards the end of the game that were potentially important one of them is that Miami is up after those two BAM free throws they're at five with 48 seconds to go and because none of them happened in the final two minutes, uh, Malone does not use a timeout. They get the ball up, and it looked to me like Miami was making a more concerted effort not to give up a three there. And over the course of these playoffs, it has become clearer to me that you really do need to get the three first, if it's at all reasonably possible, because there's a reasonable chance that you're just not going to get a chance to, to tie or take the lead if you don't get that three-pointer up first. It's the idea of, you know, Seth has talked about this so well over the years of, losing more slowly. Jokic is better at getting twos than damn near everybody. And I mean, they they got one and he made it and they still had enough enough latitude to defend on that possession but it they still it was tough to get a good look at three because it, on that last possession the best that you can do if you take a two down five is a three-pointer that everyone knows is going to be a three-pointer. Yeah, that's right. And Miami credit them for switching, taking, playing against the three there. That's how Jokic got Vincent on him for the 92nd time and just bludgeoned him into a a short ranger. But uh, and it ended up taking 15 seconds off the clock as well. So they score 35 and then Denver actually comes back and switches Jokic onto Jimmy late in the clock, which I actually think is not that bad. Jokic is better than you'd expect as a switch guy, and Jimmy was forced into a tough step back three that he clearly didn't have the legs for. So they get the rebound, 11 seconds left, no timeout. What did you think of that? As has been the case throughout these playoffs, going no timeout at the beginning of the possession, once it changes hands, so in this case, that was about four, it was about 11 seconds left. It was 14 when he shot, about 11 when Bruce Brown got the rebound. No problem there because you have a, you have a chance. They might be scrambled. And in this case in particular, the, the Heat had defensive upgrades they could make and the Nuggets didn't really have offensive upgrades that they could make. So you don't get that net personnel. Well, well the Heat the Heat did have their I think their best. Uh, Highsmith was not out there, and Duncan uh, Robinson. Yeah, okay. and, I mean, Duncan, and Duncan Robinson was. Oh no, no Vincent no, had Duncan replaced. Robinson him. Was not. Vincent had replaced. Yeah. Him. Apologies. Um. So from a kind of general thought process, I think that it's reasonable as it was for Budenholzer and Missoula, and both of them got crushed for not calling timeouts in somewhat similar circumstances. I believe Budenholzer's was later later in the over in the clock than this was. In all three cases though, the problem is that you don't call the timeout then, but you have to be extremely ready, both ideally coach and players involved, though the players are fundamentally optimistic most of the time, to call it when things aren't working. And that to me is where Malone made the mistake. Yeah, now the shot that they got by Murray, it was pretty online, just a little bit short. And Probably. he might have had a cleaner look before that, too. Uh, at what point? I think it was like five seconds left or something. There was a point where it's like it would have been early, kind of like a meshy, uh, if memory serves. You you rewatched it more recently than I did. Yeah, well, so yeah, I guess I can comment on that. So uh, I think the shot that they got in the end was pretty good. I don't think you have a right to expect getting a better look than that down three for the tie. Uh, Miami also actually had a foul to give, which I had forgotten at the time. And that might be a reason to not call the timeout uh, because and Miami, I think, had just forgotten that 
they had to fall to give. The process, though, wasn't great. And the Heat are kind of in transition after the Jimmy miss. And they didn't really match up well. They had Gabe Vincent on Murray. And then Jokic goes over to set the screen. And I'm not sure whether Jimmy intentionally picked up Jokic so he could switch. Although Bam, of course, is quite capable of it as well. But Jokic brought Jimmy Butler, the superior defender, into the action to guard Murray. When I thought Murray had the size advantage, as I noted in our call, on Vincent, I was like, oh, he might be able to just shoot over Vincent. And Jokic, of course, you want him in the action. But I think that in the end turned out to be counterproductive because whoever was guarding Jokic was going to be a better option than Vincent. And Murray really could have, I thought, gotten used his size advantage to get a good look against Vincent. As it turned out, it was a solid look against Butler and just didn't go in in the end. So what do you make of this series going forward? It did require not only, you know, like kind of a comeback after the initial lead for Miami, but also very, very hot three-point shooting for them to win this game in Denver. But there were elements that you could see continuing moving forward. And Duncan Robinson having that big fourth quarter Lowry had, a, had you know, a couple of moments, um, but, you know, like Struess looking more like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent having a good game, you know, those support players can be essential for Miami. And so there, we, we both believe that there were pathways for Miami to, to win this game and that they also needed to win game two in order to have a real chance in the series. I'm still torn on whether, I don't think this was like a template, a rock solid thing in terms of like, oh, they're going to win, you know, this game and then three more in quick succession and it's going to be, you know, anything like that. But it was also a reminder of how dependent Denver is on their, not necessarily even Jokic, but their other players playing relatively close to their standard. This was a bad Michael Porter Jr. game on both ends of the floor. KCP didn't really do anything offensively and had all these uh, had all these devastating fouls. And so they the idea, whether you want to credit the Heat with that or the Nuggets with it, that putting more pressure on those players to succeed on offense and defense is somewhat perilous at times for Denver. And it is a good path for Miami to potentially win games, whether it's whether it's one this game or whether it's all four in the series. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, the Heat formula, uh, we can kind of throw out the Knicks series because the Knicks just didn't have enough offensively throughout large swaths of that series, and also Jimmy was hurt. But the Heat formula, make fewer mistakes than their opponents. And and in this one, in this oh, game. that's actually one one point I wanted to get to is that yeah the run that Denver had and I mean we we were talking about this live the run that Denver had at the start of the second quarter no Butler no Jokic felt fluky at the time and a big part of why I've always been skeptical of Denver's offensive process during the non Jokic minutes and it's defied my expectations pretty consistently in these post in this postseason including at times in the Lakers series and the uh, not the in in the second round too but part of why that run was so successful was because Miami had a series of live ball turnovers which were a mix of forced and unforced and I think we now have enough in the eight quarter sample that that was more unusual and so getting those turnovers in this so in the second quarter of game two Denver had four steals they had zero in the first quarter they had four then and they ended up with seven in the entire game so they had more in this in that beginning stretch of the second quarter than the whole rest of the game combined and if Miami's not giving those up it's harder to beat them yeah so that's a big part of the formula is making fewer mistakes both in terms of the game plan and Michael Malone was just savaging their game plan discipline after the game and their effort so play harder make fewer mistakes and then like make great plays plays that are not quite frankly expected from these players that are they don't they almost don't make sense that's been the the way that it that it's been but I mean this is now I think they've just dropped under 50 percent from three with that last Butler step back but they're on pace for I think their fifth or sixth 
50% shooting game from three in these playoffs. And the one thing you can point to for Denver is that Butler still hasn't gone crazy. And But Duncan Robinson can give them uh, some strategic issues at some point. Uh, the Heat have, have cleaned up the Denver passes to the paint out of their split cut action. Like they're kind of used to that now. You know, they're at least like Denver's not just, okay, Jokic is going to stand there at the elbow. We'll set some screens. We're going to get a dunk. Like that's over now. Uh, Jokic is a great passer, but for whatever reason, that's the Heat have been, managed to avoid those situations. And I thought they j- did a better job of attacking Jokic. I think that can even be improved more. They did a good job of getting Jamal Murray onto Jimmy Butler. I think that's just important, not even necessarily because it's like, oh, it's so much better offense than Aaron Gordon, who defends Butler exceedingly well. But it's also just to like tire out Murray, tire out Jokic a little bit, make them, even if it's just mentally more tiring to know that you're going to be in every action and like you can't just concentrate only on offense I mean, that's that's pretty massive so certainly miami's not gonna shoot 50 percent from three every game they might do it every other game <laughs> <laughs> and uh those ones they're they're gonna be in pretty decent position now if you're a denver you take heart that you they haven't really stopped you yet even in this game where they in theory played better better defense uh in terms of adjustments i would love to get into some murray and gordon pick and roll with kevin love guarding aaron gordon that's just not really something that they've done generally gordon is being guarded by someone who will just switch on to murray they haven't really explored any of that at all uh and then i mean okay you're gonna kevin love you're gonna put two on the ball with him and aaron gordon he can make a play going downhill or you could just even try to like short the pick and roll with Jokic. as well i mean you don't want to be in rotation and nicole Jokic isn't even involved in that action so i, I think they should try to hammer that more with love get love away from the 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 basket and but make him guard on ball as the screen defender put him in space more because for a lot of these guys you know even someone like when it was ad on Gordon, even that worked i thought reasonably well but ad at least he's capable of switching onto the ball handler which love just is not they're not going to want to do that so that's something that i would try to look at as well i think getting porter jr going early in the game is really essential just try to run some plays for him maybe even for him to get some quick duck ins or something and uh, try to involve him in some of the screening action a little bit more because if I'm not saying Miami isn't respecting him, but if he just hits a couple to get going early, that'll just be, I think that'll be really big for his confidence. It'll be big for his defense. If I'm Miami, I'm going to continue to work off ball screening actions and split cuts using Porter Jr., making him guard, make decisions, communicate. That's the biggest thing that he struggled with. Um, yeah, I thought overall that they were, were pretty good, though. I, they seemed relatively optimized in terms of their defensive strategy. I don't really have a much much else to say for that on Miami's standpoint. I don't either. Um, I think I'm just about done. I right, welcome back, and please stay tuned here for a sneak preview of our more than hour-long discussion on Victor Wembanyama, available exclusively on Dunked On Prime. But I thought we'd give you at least a little bit of a flavor of it, and you can hopefully sign up using our special sale in honor of the mock-off season and, of course, all the other content that we've had as well. Enjoy. The time has come to talk about the generational prospect, Victor Wembanyama. Don't worry, we'll try to put him into some perspective as a prospect at the end here. But why don't we start uh, with the biographical information for the man from France? Unfortunately, well, because his team is still currently playing in the French playoffs, congratulations, Metropolitan 92 actually made the French finals. Today, they will play Monaco, and that series weirdly doesn't start for like another week. Um, so that could actually run until very close to the draft, which may end up affecting his Wembenyama's availability in summer league. Anyway, besides that, so we don't have combine measurements for Wembenyama, but approximately, and these are going to sound ludicrous because they are, Wembenyama, roughly 7'4", barefoot, 230 pounds, with an 8-foot wingspan and about a 10-foot standing reach. Yes, that is the height of the basket. And Wembenyama... He's born January 4th of 2004, which means he was four days short of being in last year's draft. Sorry, Orlando. And it means that his rookie year will be Wembenyama's age 20 season in the NBA based on the the way basketball reference does it. There really aren't physical comps. I like going through this. It's a part of my exercise now. Thanks to the NBA for maintaining a combine measurements database. You can go through it and and compare it year to year. It's not searchable very well, but like you can pick a kind of a, a filtering term and then get to it. 
There are really no comps for Victor Wembanyama physically. Gobert is about three inches shorter barefoot, and the standing reach is about three and a half inches. No, sorry, it's, it, he has a seven eight five standing reach. Victor Wembanyama is eight feet. Yes, yeah, so that is that is, and, and so like it's. It's incredible. Like his physical tools are different than anyone else. Uh, do you want me to do some bio stuff, or do you want to get somewhere else? Yeah, let's get that out of the way. Wembyama's. I, I I like to look into this if it's possible. Um, his father was a track athlete, and his mom played basketball. And now coaches. Um, and Wembyama. I love this story. This is in his wiki. Um, Wembyama entered the youth system of Nanterre '92 at 10 years old because someone saw him on the bench in an under 11 game and thought he was a coach because he was almost six feet tall at that point. Um, actually played, which I didn't know this, on the Barcelona youth team in under 14s, but then started playing professionally back with Nanterre when he was 15 in 2019-20 and then really started with their senior team a year later. And that's when he suffered a stress fracture in his fibula, missed a couple of months there. And then he played for Tony Parker's team for a year and then opted out and joined Metropolitan 92 where Boris Diaz team president, in part to play under French national team coach Vincent Collet, um, who is the head coach of Metropolitan 92. And then we can do the basic stats on it. So Victor Wembanyama, 19 years old, playing against professionals, even if the French league is far from the greatest in professional basketball, 21 points, nine rebounds, three blocks, two and a half assists, about a steal a game, three turnovers in 32 minutes per game. 25 PER, if you like that. Oh, so... Let's start with that physical profile. And you mentioned, I just laughed. I was muted, but I laughed when you said, yes, that is the height of the basket for his standing reach. And some guys, you'll see their measurements and you're like, ah, come on, that, that's not true. Or like, yeah, where is that? I'm surprised it's that big. I'm not surprised. No. As, as you watch him and he covers, not only is he just like a huge standing reach guy, he covers so much ground. He is quick. The guy can move his short area quickness, taking a couple of steps. For example, if he gets beaten by a guard on a switch, he can track back. He'll get a ton of blocks to, to bother the guy. If he's guarding someone out on the perimeter, standing at the foul line and something happens behind him, he can just get back and erase that shot. He blocks shots that nobody else in the world can block. And that is just so bothersome for the opposition guys you know jump hook shots by opposing post players and jump shots on the perimeter uh i mean we can sort of uh, i might transition into talking about his rim protection here but the way he moves his feet is incredible uh, as well i mean he really you know a couple of slides like you're not it's really hard to like blow by this guy and certainly the strength needs to get better as we talk about the physical profile uh and they've fastidiously you mentioned he had that stress fracture since then he's gotten into this routine where he works on his feet he does this whole crazy warm-up and there are a lot of good articles on this if you want to hear more about it but basically they don't want him to put on too much weight too quickly you know he definitely looks thin but he doesn't look you know like sean bradley thin manupal thin like he looks like he has like a, a body that could belong to a basketball well, can player. I, can I give you a, a short a short thing on that? So I saw Wembenyama twice in France. The first one of those, I I I went with my wife, and we were three rows off off the off their bench. And the first thing she said is, she's like, "Oh, he's a lot he's he's a lot thicker than Chet, Chet Holmgren because we saw him last year." And like that is a salient point here is that his legs are just you know he's a little he's not like little deer legs. They're a little bigger than that. They're not not, not huge, but you know it's it's, it's important. Yeah, so he certainly can be overpowered. Like, he's not, he doesn't really use his strength. Guys can get underneath him a ton. You know, I mean, that, that's all to be expected for any big who's 19, but particularly one who's seven foot five. But yeah, I mean, the wingspan is crazy. He also has extremely quick hands, mm -hmm. I would say, which gets, when you have quick hands and you have an eight foot wingspan, that's a pretty nice combination. He'll get a lot of steals in isolation too, like picking guys' dribbles in ways he, that they don't expect. He had a hilarious one, I have it in my notes, where he, he forced a steal, he... he got a deflection, which became a steal, on a player he wasn't even guarding on the perimeter. He was just like, oh, I can get there, and just put his hand there, and the guy's just like, what just happened? Like, because it, 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 it feels impossible at times, the plays that he can get to. And the other thing that Wembenyama has now, this, and I think of this as part of the physical profile, like his feet are very good. He does get beat by guards, but he has an understanding 
of how space works. And this will, in some ways, be even more compelling in the NBA because there are more shooters now and, and just things are a little bit different, where you don't have to get back in front of the guy if you have stretch Armstrong arms and can just block, contest, or affect the shot from another position. And he's so long that some of the old, like, KD defending James Harden stuff works too, where... He's affecting things even from a suboptimal position, and he understands that and doesn't force it. He understands that getting back in front opens up the risk of a foul. And for a 19-year-old to put all that together is jaw-dropping. Yeah, let's let's just, we'll hit on his room protection more. And I guess this, maybe this doesn't count technically as room protection, but I, I watched, I think he had over 100 blocks in the season I watched. 38 of them, nine of them were on jump shots, eight of them were on three-pointers. And most of those taking place in either close-out situations or one-on-one situations, they, he was very comfortable switching late in the clock. In fact, even I think like he was probably their best switch defender. And he was. It, it was he would even seek out the chance to switch late in the clock. The one block that I, I'll try to describe it to you by this like six-foot guard and not really that athletic. They're there's some pretty good athletes at times in the French league. This guy was not one of them. But it's late clock. And this guy's maybe like, you know, the arc there is 22 feet. This guy's maybe standing at 24 feet. I would say Victor is maybe standing, he's standing at least six feet away from the guy. And which is that that's like, remember, like when you talk about the NBA tracking data, open is considered four to six feet away and wide open is further than six feet. But this guy's like, ah, this is Victor Wembanyama. I better make sure I can get my shot off. I'm going to take two steps back. And Victor still blocks his three anyway. <laughs> he had one. It was insane. It was in the game I saw in person against Paolo Cortez, where I just started cackling. Like he he blocked a three pointer. There's a very nice French French media member sitting next to me, and he, he kind of I, I said I'm like this doesn't happen. Like this isn't a this isn't a thing that occurs. And he's doing this against professional athletes. Like this isn't. I I there was at one point. I have this in my notes that I'm like, some of these plays look like that Zion Williamson middle school clips where he's just crushing tiny people, except that it's against professional athletes. And that is meant no disrespect to the to the competitors in France, many of whom you guys would know. Um, like, I mean, it was, uh, uh, Monaco has a number of players. I don't know if we'll get that deep into some of the stuff we watched. But it's like, he just exists on kind of a different plane physically than even those guys. So many of these blocks, and this happens around the room too, come when guys just aren't expecting it when he's crashing down from the free throw line the strategy against him most of the time was unless you had one of your absolute best players was a center they would just you had to just go five out against him or you probably weren't going to score or you could try to just get a bunch of gortat screens be physical with him try to wall him off through he didn't deal with that incredibly well yeah how quickly he reacts to the ball was pretty incredible the amount of ground that he covers in just those two steps i'm not he's not necessarily doing a lot of pre-rotating and that's something that he'll probably be able to do a little more in the nba where it's just even seeing him and intimidating him will or his intimidation will prevent guys from even considering penetrating and but even when he's not getting there he only had a that i saw a couple of plays where he just went vertical the guys went into his chest but he doesn't need to get there and the other thing that's to really bother them he can get shots in the air he can get shots out of guys hands you try a scoop shot there are a bunch of times when guys guards would do the move where they accelerate really fast try to get him moving backwards stop on a dime pump fake and then turn back and shoot a fadeaway he would block that shot pretty regularly uh and he really is out of position a fair amount of time i think he largely played hard we'll talk more about that and he's got pretty good instincts but he also is just still 19 years old playing as a big man that's one of the hardest positions to play defensively but he still gets guys and so i mentioned also when he's in a switch guys blow by him he's able to block it from behind my one quibble that i had in terms of rim protection is he doesn't use his left hand often enough to block shots i think he could get to even more if he did that uh but he can also jump really quickly and get up to where he needs to be walker kessler does this too but he'll be on either another level of not needing to load up to jump he can kind of just keep his arms up kind of bent slightly above his head and just get off the ground and go block something pretty easily so it's really he 
he's the best pure shot blocker that I've ever seen. He gets blocks that nobody else has ever been able to get to. He has the potential to be the greatest defensive player of all time. Like that, there's just no two ways about that. I'd say of the players that I've scouted closely, the only person defensively on film who's even comp like close to comparable is Anthony Davis. And I loved AD's defensive film. I, in some ways, from a like just not not necessarily an entertainment, but just like oh, he's really got it down. Like Anthony Davis might might have been better there, but Wembenyama's tools and like the way the things that he does wrong generally speaking are pretty improvable like they're it's not these fundamental weaknesses and there will be times you know i'm sure there'll be oh it's gonna be hard for him on on Jokic and Embiid but a couple things there one there are very few of those players in the league and you can you can solve that riddle other ways like when and i was thinking a lot during one of the monaco games i was watching about how the template that we saw, I'll use the that double the, the MVP duel game, which in many ways kind of solidified Joel and Joel Embiid's MVP, where they were using PJ Tucker in that. Well, you can you can do something to that effect with Wembenyama if he can't handle the matchup, and I think that he will do better than most at at those power games as well. Yeah, we could talk about his post defense in a second, but I wanted to relay to you what I actually thought was the most impressive stat of any that I saw. Okay. 2.2 fouls per game in like 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, he had 2.2 fouls and he had well more than that in terms of blocks. Like he averaged 2.9 blocks per game. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that's absolutely insane. A 19-year-old big who's thin like this too. Usually that leads to a lot of fouling and he's able to back off. He doesn't feel like he has to play with power too much. And so he's able to avoid fouling, but he can just, he doesn't need to use his body. He can just get there, get there over the top from basically any angle. He he trusts, his, only, yeah. he trusts his size better than any prospect I've ever seen, ever. Yeah, I think maybe I saw him got beat on a pump fake once and commit a foul. Like in, you know, I'd probably watch three full games worth and then a bunch of i watched a bunch of defensive clips too so in the post all but the biggest brutes just have no chance against him monaco starts to not as funny that's the best team in the league that's who they're going to play in the final and Monte Yunus, i watched the first half of the game they got blown out in but Monte Yunus, he tried to post him up i think four times and got four shots blocked like he just had no chance like a guy who's probably actually a pretty good post player in europe a guy like that just can't even get a shot off against him now the one guy who gave him the most trouble is from the team they just beat uh osfell and look up this guy's name just because i i have to say it because i'll never get a chance to say it again because this guy was actually like slight slight victor kryptonite ah yes yusufa fall oh yeah yusufa fall and remember victor played for Osfeld last year i would imagine he went up against fall a fair amount and fall is the one guy like if he tried to really duck him in fall has two moves he basically has a very very short range left shoulder hook and just like a back you in for a dunk but he scored on victor pretty easily he was really the only guy that was able to do it regularly and that was mostly just getting great position beforehand and his secret was push him so far into the basket that if he puts his hand up he's putting his hand up through the rim and then and he dunked on victor a couple times like there might be something psychological there with having gone up against this guy in practice and gotten beaten on but they also just beat osfell 3-1 in the french league semifinals what did you make of his motor defensively not terrible but not fantastic i thought that i i count this as part of motor and i believe you do too women he changes ends better going from defense to offense than offense to defense um very common for young players in particular because going to offense is way more fun but those those sorts of plays sometimes there was a little bit of trouble there there were there were times where he like in some ways you could argue there that he i think overall it's a net positive where he doesn't go for as much as a lot of other guys you could think about like the the young you know the young bigs who jump for every pump fake and everything like that but there were times where it felt like he could have gotten out there like for a closeout or he could have gotten back into a play and didn't so it it it's a very faint concern yeah i think there were times when it looked really good on either end I thought that in the last game I watched, which was the, I watched two of these games against Osfeld, at least a half of each of them. I thought he looked a little bit worn down. The format there is close to every other day when they've basically been playing once a week other than that that's part because this team is not in the EuroLeague we can talk a little bit more about the situation in a moment but uh, Mets 92 is not in the EuroLeague 
So he didn't have to play as many games, ended up playing about 40 games on the season, and we'll have a, a, a few more in the French League final. It's a five-game series against Monaco coming up. And just a lot of possessions where he didn't venture inside the arc, really, on offense. Not a great motor, I would say, going after rebounds, particularly on the offensive end. That's not necessarily his role. His role is to be a big scorer on this team. So I, I don't know how, certainly when he's around the rim and like he has a free run at it, he's just going to crush anything that's around there. But uh, on the defensive glass, I thought that he could just kind of get stuck boxing out. Like he didn't like not box out, but there also wasn't a ton of rebounding out of area. He does have a nice faculty if he can get free for just kind of tipping the ball to himself, which is a, a neat trick when you're, you've got got a 10 foot standing reach but i was that was i would say the biggest thing to me that i I mean it's not really a concern but i he didn't look to me the part of someone who's going to be a dominant rebounder at least not right away and so yeah it was kind of hit or miss i thought that most of his errors that he made were errors of commission rather than omission it wasn't just like oh somebody drove and he just never rotated right you didn't uh, maybe you do you feel differently on that like i didn't see any of these plays where it's like like if if he didn't get there there was usually a reason I agree with that. That's fair. Like he would be screened off by someone on a Gortat screen or posting up or like guarding a shooter or something. You wouldn't see guys drive from the opposite side. He'd be the low man and just not react like that almost never happened. He he never went full Aiden. Yeah. Pick and roll defense. He did a fair amount of switching. Also, teams didn't go with a pick and roll big against him a lot either because they were trying to space him out. So there was a lot more switching being done, but I thought his feet were really good in pick and roll. He was active. He's got active hands. He would fake towards the ball handler, retreat. Communication. He did a lot of communicating, a lot of pointing stuff out. Was clearly very vocal, had an understanding of what they're trying to do. I want to give you a couple more stats on the isolation and post-up game post-ups there's like a couple of guys who could go at him basically everyone else was hopeless it was like 0.7 points per possession isolations opponents were 5 of 23 on isolations with some turnovers specifically on isolations from the top like off the dribble usually by guards 11 possessions opponents were 0 for 6 and i think just about all those were blocked three turnovers some of those uh, uh just directly caused by him one one guy traveled when he got up in the air and then just couldn't realize he couldn't get a shot off and just landed and then the only points that he gave up were on two reach in fouls in 11 possessions gave up zero field goals so you just saw and if you go back to we talked about scoot henderson i'm actually much more impressed now again the french league europe in general is not known for like unbelievably athletic shot creating guards like mike james remember him he played for phoenix a little bit in brooklyn it's probably i would say like the the most dynamic shot creating guard plays for monaco and james he stopped james a couple of times like picked his pocket james hit like a really deep three on him another time when it was just like he didn't even dribble he just shot a 30 footer over him but the fact that scoot was even able to like attack the basket and score a layup over him or got like hit like a couple of shots even though when Benyama blocked him a couple times like that was actually like easily the most impressive performance that any guard had going against him in isolation that I saw so I I think that's about all I've got on the defense if he doesn't become just like a defensive player of the year like all-time great defender what would the reason for that be I mean beyond injuries um yeah of course there is an athleticism gap between the French League and the NBA, and I I think some of the stuff that he gets away with because of how much longer he is, the the timing, like the timing windows are harder against John Morant than they are against Mike James, and Mike James is one of the better creators in the French League, and so that, I think there there will be a learning curve with Wembenyama. Now, that, I think that's more sure. of an, an age 20 versus an age 24 problem there. I- I think the I think everyone else is going to have more of a learning curve against him <laughs> than he's going to have. Totally, else, totally fair. Totally fair. Okay, that will do it for this sneak preview of the Wembenyama discussion. If you want to get the rest of it, of course, it is available exclusively on Dunked On Prime. I exhort you again to please consider subscribing if you enjoy this podcast. Never a better time of year. We have that special sale for a year long membership. That saves you a ton off the monthly price, and you can get all of our scouting reports, all of our gamers right after the finals are over. Draft analysis, free agency analysis, summer league analysis, every relevant player in summer league we will do a scouting report on. So please join us for the rest on Dunked on Prime. Link is in the show notes. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.